Hey friends, this is Andy. Chorus.ai is the platform for the vice president of sales. Chorus believes that customer conversations are a company's most powerful but most underutilized and overlooked asset. With every sales call and meeting seamlessly recorded, transcribed, and analyzed in real time, Chorus.ai provides an unparalleled view into your sales and customer success teams. Highlight coachable moments. Uncover insights about your competitors. Proactively identify at-risk deals and so much more with Chorus.ai's elegant and easy-to-use solution for today's data-driven sales leaders. And even better, reps can get started for free today and start seeing real results within the first five minutes simply by going to hello.chorus.ai forward slash sign up. That's hello.chorus.ai forward slash sign up. Remember, Chorus.ai, today's platform for the VP of sales. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading, human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights, like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves, you need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision-maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 594-594 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Join me today on Accelerate for the second time is my guest, George Brontain. George is the founder and CEO of Membrane, a sales effectiveness platform that drives winning sales behaviors. And in today's episodes, we're going to talk about the impact of cognitive biases on sales. Now, we all have certain sort of ingrained biases that have a direct influence on how we receive and communicate information with other people or you know, our buyers, for instance. And, and so in today's conversation, George and I are going to Dig into the whole topic of the confirmation bias, you know, which is the way that we selectively use data to reinforce our existing beliefs about something. You know, we don't let data really challenge our worldview. And we all know sales is increasingly data-driven, but unfortunately too often our confirmation biases drive us to use this available data to reinforce our existing beliefs, our existing behaviors, rather than make necessary changes. And oftentimes, too, this confirmation bias you know, blinds us to our buyer's true motivations and actions, which can lead us to spend too much time on deals that we could never win or miss opportunities to win deals that we should never have lost. So join me with George as we talk about this really fascinating aspect of human behavior today. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 594. Now, before I talk with George, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing. The feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who are continually updating the contact data and providing account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. You can see the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Today's show is also brought to you in part by our friends at chorus.ai. Chorus.ai makes your customer conversations work for you. 
VPs, sales enablement managers, account executives alike all benefit from the power and ease of Chorus.ai's platform. In fact, customers have seen dramatic increases in their close rates within the first six months and ramp-up periods for new reps cut nearly in half, all the while gaining real insights to help you sell not only smarter, but better. So Chorus.ai, it's a platform to make the power of AI available for every sales team. So get started with that today. You find it at Chorus.ai. All right, let's jump into it with George Brontane. George, welcome back to Accelerate. Thank you very much, Andy. Happy to be here. And you're joining us all the way from Sweden today. Yep, I am. Ah, perfect. I'll call. Mm-hmm. So, let's see, we're right about the Labor Day weekend. We're recording this. Uh, so, you still have relatively late sunshine, I imagine, still? Yes, we actually do. Yeah, uh, the nice. weather is fine. Yeah, I yeah, can't complain. No, no. <laughs> Been there at that time of year. It's very, very beautiful. So, all right. So, here's a standard question different standard questions uh, since last time you were on the show uh, okay. that I that I ask guests at the beginning of the show, which is, it in your mind, what what's the single biggest challenge that's facing sales reps today? To stand out and differentiate. Okay. It's my, my uh, knee-jerk reply to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds more considered than a knee-jerk reaction. So, so <laughs> yeah, how do they deal with that then? I think yeah, they need to really understand their buyers uh, and um, also their offering and, and what really makes them unique and be able to communicate that very quickly. Uh, and no, that, that's not always easy. No, it's not. But I mean, one of the difficult parts is oftentimes there is nothing really unique, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's so easy for products to become commoditized and to, and to be perceived as being commodities by by prospective buyers um, yeah. yeah how do you, how do you stand out in that environment in your mind I mean how do you stand out in that environment if you're a salesperson I think you have to have some some nice um, speaking points something that sort of gets the the listener or the buyer to say hmm okay I haven't, I haven't heard that before even if mm-hmm. your offering is isn't unique what you say can be unique right uh, so if you can say something that makes them sort of mm, uh, move a little in, in their chair like oh I, what, what is he getting at I think that's one way to get I mean as a, as a conversation starter and then mm-hmm. everything all products are unique in one or another way I think once you get a little bit deeper into the offerings but online, they all look the same. Yeah, and so, so that early stage of the sales process, that's really where you have to be able to prove some sort of differentiation. Otherwise, yeah, why should they change from what they're doing? Yeah, and of course, in, now, in, the, in the world we live in today, it's, it's a lot about social proof as well. Um, people will Google you and they will see what other buyers have said about your company and your product. So I think that's, that's crucial. But yeah. in the in the actual conversation, I think you need to have something that stands out to get the conversation started. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so we're gonna that sort of relates to a little what we're gonna talk about today. Is is you wrote an article not that long ago that that I read and I yeah you know, I don't say pick up the phone and called you but but sent you an email and said yeah let's let's talk about this again. Is is you wrote about the issue of confirmation bias in sales and. An interesting article, and and so let's let's talk about that. So how how are you defining 
the confirmation bias? Yes, I think we have a lot of different biases. I think the, the researchers have defined hundreds of them. But really, uh, they're like shortcuts uh, in our thinking because we're so overloaded of information. We, we need to sort of dis- delete some information and, and distort some other information. And, and the, uh, the uh, one we're talking about, the confirmation bias, I think it's really one of those... Um, say shortcuts buyers are making and we are doing as salespeople that can be really uh, detrimental to to sales so uh it's it's when you you're looking for information to confirm that your existing belief is true so you basically ignore everything else even though other people can prove you're wrong you still believe in in, in what you have decided is the truth um, so uh, it's, uh, I'm sure there are good definitions. And I think the one I use is a system of thinking and decision-making shortcuts that is not based in logic. Mm-hmm. And it's an inclination to, to present or hold a partial pr- perspective at the expense of a possibly equal or more valid alternative was another definition uh, <laughs> I found online. <laughs> well, that, that sounds like one might be found online. Yeah. Well, I mean, I sort of always think about it as as... Um, largely along the same lines, but maybe a slight slight twist to it is that you know if you look at it from let's say a data perspective, right? That that um, what you do is you pick and choose among the possible meanings of what the the data you get in order to reinforce your own worldview, right, or your own perspective on something. Like statisticians. Yeah, and I think that that's that to me always strikes me as sort of the the best definition, right, is you're you're picking and choosing the information that you're receiving in order mm-hmm. to confirm something that you already believe. Yeah, and we all do it. I mean, that's that's the funny part that we when we look at these biases and we say, oh yeah, that my buyer does that, <laughs> but yeah, but you do it as well. Uh, so we all do it, but we also have a bias that we're not biased. So well, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> interesting point because I think that's actually. I think a lot of what we sometimes think as confirmation biases are are really just different biases. Some that maybe are somewhat even unnamed, but um, but I think it's one of the things that really the thing that resonated with about me with your articles is this issue of just our biases in general in sales. And I've I've written about this, and and I'm going to do more on it in upcoming book and so on. But it's it's we have to acknowledge the fact that, that we have these biases. I think that's just the first thing that, that has to happen, whether it's a confirmation bias or more general biases. But um, as people who convey information and receive information, which is our job in sales, is we have to acknowledge that, that we carry biases that, that have a fundamental impact on how we communicate to someone else and how we receive information from them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and also at different levels. If you try to communicate with someone and they have a belief that's really about their own identity or or their values, it becomes so difficult. I mean, you can't hardly have that discussion with with someone. You're never going to sway someone to change religion uh, because they won't sway unless you have 
other arguments than facts because there are no facts <laughs> in religion. So maybe that was a poor, poor example. Well, but but I think yeah. I mean one example that maybe relates to that is is the fact that that having knowledge of someone's religion, especially if it's important to you, your own religion is important to you, that then creates a bias that, even at a subtle level, has an impact on how you interact with that person. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a, a fascinating book uh, that I read recently called uh, Blind Spot, The Hidden Biases of Good People. And mm -hmm. the authors are, uh, I believe, two professors out of Harvard, um, Banaji and Greenwald. And they've they the whole point of this book is is about you know, how our interactions are guided by these biases. And um, they've what they've done is they've created this test, and and you can take this test online. It's called the implicit association test. All right, and <laughs> and uh, they have a variety of them that are available, and it's a really simple test. And I've I've taken them several online. But what they do is it, it quickly surfaces sort of your preferences and biases that uh, you may have for other people based on you know, any number of categories and you know, filters, if you will, you know, ace, rage, gender, weight, yep. ethnicity, and so on. Mm -hmm. And that all of those <laughs> have some impact on, again, how we communicate and receive information from people. Yep. And they've, they've, had millions of samples of this test taken and, and, and it's really very interesting because, you know, as the authors talk about it in the book is, you know, they're kind of disturbed when they, when they took these book, these tests themselves, because, yeah. you know, they found that, you know, even those of us who, and I, you know, credit myself and I took the test as well, it's, you know, seemingly very egalitarian is that we all have some degree of sort of built in and, and seemingly intractable, biases toward people who are different than us. Yep. And I mean, some of it's just human nature, I think. But um, but we have to be mindful of the fact that this, this influences how people perceive us, how we perceive other people, and how the communication between us, which is, again, the heart of selling, right? That's about communication, how that takes place. And if we're yeah. ignorant of it, then... Yeah, we're going to see this. We're going to see suffering, and and if people want to take one of those tests, they can go to. Um, I have the link here somewhere. Implicit.harvard.edu. Um, yeah, I will definitely do that. That sounds exciting. Yeah, and, and very eye-opening. Yeah, and I think you're so right. With we. we we tend to believe things about ourselves that aren't always true, <laughs> mm -hmm. and 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 once we 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 can realize that wow we have these biases and and if if I if I know how they affect me and affect my communications with others, I think that can be very very powerful. And, and questioning, we we talked. About, you asked me what was the most important trait for a salesperson, I, and I think that is questioning. And but it's not just questioning like. You have a script and you ask questions. It's, it's about what questions do I ask at which time to, to this particular person? And I think language becomes so interesting because you can actually hear by the words the people use what motivates them. Well, yeah. Well, and I think the questioning also goes to a deeper level, which is we also have to question ourselves, right? So why, why do I think this is true? Right, somebody, the customer told mm -hmm. me something. Why do I? Why do I think that's true? Why do I take that at face value? Mm -hmm. 
And, well, you, yeah, what and, would be an example of that? Well, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I teach this to salespeople that I coach and mentor and, and managers as well is, is don't necessarily take what the customer says at face value because there's some motivation behind it, mm-hmm. right? There's some, there's some, they have their own biases at work, right? And yeah. their own motivations. We need to understand what those are. But if we just take, yeah. if we just take at face value that what they say is, is exactly mm-hmm. what they mean, yep. then we're running a risk that we're really missing the point of the conversation. And it's, and people think that sounds like a very cynical way to go through life, but it, it's not. It's actually, it's, <laughs> it's, it's trying to be a little more perceptive and a little more open to what's really mm-hmm. happening. Because and it creates, I, I, I completely, sorry if I interrupted you, but no, I ahead. just I had a thought that I want to get at. It, 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 it creates a lot more interesting discussions and dialogues, right? If you don't take what they say at face value. Like, we're so satisfied with the current supplier. Right. Okay. What oh, do you okay. say? To- yeah, right. Most people say, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you are? Okay, that's that's too bad. Or it says like, oh, okay, how, how would you know when uh, you would, what would, how would you know if somebody had something better? Or when do you know uh, if your current supplier is not providing what, uh, what could be uh, the best solution for you? Mm-hmm. To get them, get them thinking and get them talking. And, and like you say, that's when they will reveal the, the why behind their reply. Really, they just wanted to get you off the phone. For instance, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah I think that I think that it's really important, and, and we're, we'll delve more into that here as we continue the conversation. Is that is that um, yeah? We need to understand that yeah, you know, our our biases are driven by our emotions, and Definitely. I mean, some of them are somewhat almost innate. It sounds like, but it feels like, but but emotions, and you know, to really sort of see the truth and hear the truth and put ourselves in position to hear the, the truth and what the customer is really saying is, is we need to recognize these feelings and understand that, that they're influencing how we think and how we behave. Mm. Yeah, and I have a friend who always um, uh, he, he's a, uh, reads everything about how our brain works and, and, and one thing that he always brings up is that we we uh, make predictions of the future and that's how the brain always thinks about things like okay we assume and we predict so you have to be asking questions that question the predictions that they are making <laughs> well well yeah i mean because first of all in our predictions we're almost always wrong mm-hmm. oh, I mean, well, they're based on our our biases and yeah, our they're based on our biases right history. so so we're we, you know, we are horrible prediction machines as humans, and <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, we we need to sort of get in this position where we sort of instead of taking information that's given to us and in order to confirm something that we already believe, is we need to be open to say what's this information really mean, and does it challenge something what I believe or what the customer believes, and and what's what's the value of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we dig into your article, I mean, you talked about the confirmation bias and, or we'll say biases in general, playing out over sort of three or four dimensions, I guess, buyer, seller, managers, and strategic considerations. Well, let's sort of jump into like the buyer's behavior because 
you know, this is really, this is really powerful. I mean, biases really come into play here. Uh, and you get an example if, if, you know, the buyer already has developed, you know, a strong preference for a vendor before engaging with your sales team, then, you know, that's going to be hard to sway them mm-hmm. no matter what you tell them. Yeah, true. And I think that's always the case with the incumbent, if, uh, especially if it's a, uh, something they built themselves. <laughs> Uh, and, and they have something, right? And it's there and it's changing it. If, unless they have a very strong motivation, it's going to be painful. Uh, they're going to move away from the status quo. So, yeah, I think a lot of times they, they're they trying to find flaws um, in other other solutions than the ones they, they prefer. Uh, yeah, or, or not even really give it the right consideration, right? I mean, I think that... that um, as I was reading that, you know, it's called to mind Daniel Kahneman's, you know, concept of cognitive ease. I don't know if you mm-hmm. read his book, Think exactly. Fast and Slow, yeah. but, Absolutely. but, you know, basically as, as humans, we're, we're geared to want to take the path of least resistance in our thinking. Yep. Saves you know, energy for the brain. It, it saves energy to the brain. If we were, if we had to consider, give consideration to every single thought that passed through our mind <laughs> during the day, I like to give the example, we'd be like dogs, right? We'd be sleeping eight hours during the waking hours, mm-hmm. and then we'd sleep all night because we'd just yeah. be exhausted. And yeah. that's sort of my theory about why dogs sleep all the time is because when they're awake, they're paying such close attention to the humans, right? Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's just tiring. You just can't mm-hmm. do it. So um, if you know, if we were like that, as you said, if we had to sort of get out of, shake out of the, what he called system one thinking cognitive ease and and uh, really focus on everything that was was going on everything we just couldn't do it and so it's easier to go with the one you know right in the case of yeah. the established vendor it's just brain wise it's just easier and Much easier. and a sort of place in this idea of of also I think into this idea of perception so. Yeah, I wrote about this in my last book and had done a bunch of research into it, research into the research that had been done about perceptions. And <laughs> and it aligns with what Kahneman said is that, and he sort of acknowledges this in his book too, is that when we form perceptions of someone, you know, they're really sticky because mm-hmm. we don't want to spend the mental energy to change it, even when we're given evidence that contradicts our perception. Yeah. Right. So in the case of a preferred vendor is you think about the buyer's mindset is, yeah, this, you know, they're just not, it's going to be really difficult. That's really, really high bar to get them to look at anything different because that's just the way the brain works. You know, they formed perception and they're loath to change it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely completely true. I think. And uh, the brain, like you mentioned, I think that this, laziness is, is our survival mechanism um, and, and uh, that's what we need to break through as, as salespeople how do we get how do we get the brain to to sort of wake up and engage system two if that's what we should call it and and I think everyone every time you hear something that's boring you ignore it right and if it's dangerous you you, you go you run away <laughs> or you stay well, fight. <laughs> right, fight or flight. Well, but I think that's yeah. that's really the key point, though. Is is as we look at 
this idea, okay, well, how do we overcome some of these fixed patterns of thought or biases, if you will? And that's exactly right. I think part of the reason that that people you know operate in that that framework of sort of cognitive ease is it's it's a way to mitigate the risk of any situation. And so, yeah. as you said, you said the danger yeah. is you know if you create the perception of risk, exactly, then that disrupts that in a way that could be positive for you as a seller. And when that becomes too complicated, that's when all these biases kick in. I think when when the the messaging becomes complicated, uh, you you really radically the brain just really tries to simplify it as much as possible, and that's where you start throwing in things that are not facts, but biases and conclusions that are wrong and predictions that may be wrong. So I think that's why communication and, and, and marketing uh, is, is so, can be so powerful. If someone can phrase an offering or in, in a few really enticing words, that can be extremely uh, effective to get through to someone. Uh, but like when you have um, technicians trying to write uh, some uh, a marketing lingo never works because <laughs> they want to make sure you understand everything about it. Mm. So well, and that just makes everyone. Oh, this was uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> understand anything of that. What did he say? It's like no, let's right. go back to the other vendor. <laughs> right. Well, I think there's been certainly in in the um, aftermath of of the uh, election here in the United States last year, is there was a lot written about. Well, geez, yeah. The <laughs> if you looked at this whole thing logically, <laughs> right? There's no way that you know certain segments of the electorate should have voted for Trump because what he was saying is just sort of antith- what his program is antithetical to their interests. But what they're saying is that you trying to convince people logically is never the way <laughs> to win them over to your side, right? It wasn't it wasn't about logic. No, and I, I don't think we're very motivated by by logic. We 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 make decisions by, on on our emotions connected to our values and beliefs, and then we justify them right. based on after logic. The, after the fact, exactly. And you, and you construct the logic <laughs> to work for you. Oh yeah, it's it's you like I said, you rationalize it, right? You rationalize yeah. the decision based on the emotional decision you made. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> again, not that we've. It seemed like we strayed from the topic of biases a little bit, but <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's the biases that really you know, are at play in the perceptions that are somewhat immune to logic. Yes, and that's where the emotion and creating you talked about creating danger, creating risk. Uh, you know, some people flee from risk. People want to mitigate the risk that they have, but in other times. You know, the risk also creates opportunities because then in the case of like buyers, they may say, well, and you gave the example of like using sort of the challenger methodology, you know, uh, I always like say, you know, you ask customers a question about something about their business they should know, but don't, um, mm-hmm. you know, another powerful yeah. motivation is that fear of missing something, right? The risk mm-hmm. of missing out on something. It's not just the risk of change that's countered by the risk of, oh shit, what are we going to miss by not? not listening to this person. Yeah, it's a little bit like the movie Inception. You want to plant some seeds, some thoughts in their minds and mm. that, that cause them to think uh, differently and, and, and challenge their 
their own uh, previous um, conclusions or predictions. So if you can make, do that well, uh, it's it's super powerful. Uh, I think um, I mean talking about Challenger that that was a big talk for a few years ago, and a lot of people misread or, or misunderstood or, or implemented it quite maybe incorrectly and, and just started having uh, arguments with clients <laughs> uh, and, and call that challenging and that, that that's probably not the way <laughs> the way to do it so but yeah no. i think uh, yeah if they have if they ha- if you hear that they they are sort of stuck in their minds of, of what they have today uh, that's when you know okay they're probably a bit biased here and and what what can i do to sort of loosen them up a bit and then you i think that's when you need to start asking questions that empathizes with their current view uh but also then challenges challenges them or or provides insights that makes them think hmm, okay maybe there's something better or maybe i'm at risk by sticking with the status quo right well i think it's i think it's more of the latter right i think that's because I, mean, I was using Challenger long before Challenger was Challenger in yeah. selling large, complex stuff. And it, yeah, you're you're creating that perception of risk in the mind of the buyer that that uh, yeah, I'm going to miss something, right? That mm-hmm. whether it's at a uh, you know career level, because you always talk about yeah, this buyer has a career decision you know at stake or something like that. Well, hey, that's true in some cases, and you know the risk cuts both ways. It's the risk of doing something, but it's also equally balanced out by the risk of not doing anything. And mm-hmm. you know you have to be able to to play to that as well. So, from the seller standpoint, in your article, you talked about um, you know one problem with salespeople is is one of their aspects of confirmation bias in their own mind is that hey, if the first couple calls of a deal. With a, with a new prospect go well, they tend to weigh those opportunities more optimistically in terms of mm-hmm. potential close. And I, I let's talk about that a second because I I think that is that that is true. That's more of this cognitive ease, right? I I formed a perception of what these opportunities are, and facts to the contrary, these are still good. Even if you get to a point where there are indications that yeah, they're not. They're not going to be a great prospect for you, or they're not going to close in the time frame, or whatever. Yeah, and and I think there's another big risk there. If if that's the interpretation of these initial meetings, there's also a tendency to start skipping important steps in the process uh, because they they think that it's a done deal. So they've had a great meeting with the the CEO and the CFO, and they're all fired up about the financial benefits of, of investing in a particular solution. But there, were, there are five other stakeholders that they have not talked to. Mm-hmm. But they don't, but because the first meeting was was great, and they were at the sea level, and everyone is, is fired up. I don't even have to talk to the other five. I will just go right ahead and create the proposal, and I'm going to sign them tomorrow. <laughs> so, and I think that's a big risk when you start having these. Uh, ideas that um, you just confirm to yourself that everything is is so uh, so good that that you 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 skip the discipline to do all the things you need to do in order to to get the buyer to reach consensus. Well, yeah, and I think uh, I think another form of that 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 we see frequently this and I'll, we'll call it the confirmation bias at work is is that 
sort of another spin on what you just talked about example you had good first meetings with ceo and so on but oftentimes and i think more many more prevalent cases you have good initial meetings with someone who you know isn't you know they may be part of the decision making team but they're the person on that team whether the stakeholder that's willing to talk to you right to spend time with you and as a result you tend to give more weight to the information that they give you right and you tend to rely on the information they get that's your bias right and you tend to sort of mm-hmm. sort of shut out the information you're getting from the other sources and i see that all the time with with sales reps is yeah john you know my guy john at the account he's telling yeah. me we're, we're we're in good shape right you know every time i call john he picks up the phone and answers yet the other five people are not quite as convinced as john and john doesn't carry you know, extra weight in order to have his opinion be worth more than the other. So, yeah, you get led down the garden path by John, and you don't get the deal. Yeah, yeah, classic, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's uh, I think a classic example of sort of confirmation bias. Yeah, you just yeah, you just listen to what you want to hear. That you have those happy ears, <laughs> uh, which I think is um, <laughs> most salespeople tend to have the happy ears. Uh, so yeah, that's a scary, scary thing that, and, and, and as I'm a process freak, um, that's sort of how I think we can solve some of these issues because we need to be more disciplined um, and, and, and work in, in the, throughout the process to make sure, have you done this? Have I done this? Have I forgotten something important? Mm-hmm. Because it's so, it's so easily done um, today that you, you, you're stressed and, yeah, John is a great guy, and I take that for face value, and then I just skip a number of things I should be doing. But if you have a very well-designed process, you, you'll keep yourself on track. So, yeah, yeah, and you mentioned the articles. You know, make sure you have well-defined, you know, exit criteria for every stage that people have to meet, and and part of that is not just the discipline for the salesperson, but discipline of the manager as well, because yeah. you know, managers are as complicit in this as with, with the salespeople um, oftentimes, because you know, sometimes they're being judged on obviously on you know, coverage in the pipeline and so on. And, and mm-hmm. there's somewhat of incentive on their part, not to, not to look too closely at everything that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, even if they looked closely, um, depending on how they've set that up, uh, it might be difficult for them to actually get that visibility to understand everything about every deal um, in the pipeline. Well, it certainly uh, takes an investment of time. That's for it sure. It does, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think yeah. that's that's sort of an interesting, interesting thing because I look at myself and and my experiences is when I do a pipeline review, I go over everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just me. I mean, you're a process freak. Me, I, I want to, I want to understand that they understand the detail. Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, you know, pipeline review is a pretty detailed, drawn out process, but you know, you don't do it every day, obviously. But I want the salespeople to come away from that with an understanding is like and not that I'm gonna tell them directly, they're gonna figure that out, is like, oh yeah, you know, he asked me questions about this, this, and this, and I didn't have answers for that. I need to go find it. Yep. Exactly. And and that's what I think. If you have a good process and a good methodology, and you systemize that, then then sort of you can automate some of that managerial work uh, 
and make sure that everyone does uh, ask those questions. Right. So yeah, but I, I, I it's a. Uh, it's funny, and then when when I'm talking about confirmation bias and sales managers, you can get into the, the situation where you have a bias about different team members, right? So, oh yeah, absolutely. Lisa is she's great. Uh, I I don't have to do a pipeline review with her. She she's always fantastic. Uh, or uh, Dave always uh, uh, sandbags. Uh, <laughs> so and you, you start having these. Uh, Biases that, that that cause you to maybe uh, take the wrong actions and not not be the best manager. Well, yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, we see this all the time. Is is look at the way accounts are allocated or leads are allocated, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you'd like to think that they're all done. Everybody's got a system, a you know, round robin distribution or something, and leads are distributed equally. And but. You and I both know, and as well as most people listening know, that's not really what happens in practice is, is that a big opportunity comes in and the manager says, well, I can't give this to to John, even though this is John's territory. I'm going to go give it to Lisa because I think she's more dependable. My perception of her is, my bias is she's more dependable in getting this done as opposed to saying, well, how do I coach John to become as good as Lisa? And how do I motivate him to become better? It's not by giving giving deals to Lisa. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the biases, the biases work. I see that I said, constantly. I had actually had an email from, from a listener not that long ago that had this situation occur to them. And mm-hmm. they had worked for a company for a long time. They'd worked their way up to handling bigger accounts. They went out and brought in proactively and developed a, a large opportunity and had closed it. And then a like a sister division of the opportunity or the the main office, I forget which one of, of the opportunity he had closed, said they were interested, but his managers wouldn't give it to him because they perceived him as being, and their bias was he was too junior, they gave it to someone oh. else, even though he had developed that account. It's like, ouch, that hurts. Yeah, it's, it's ouch, and it hurts, right, but that's, that's you know, the sales manager bias at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you have, sorry, as a manager, you have to question, is, you know, is this... Am I being even-handed? Am I being biased? Or am I operating purely out of what I think is self-interest and the short-term self-interest, which is not necessarily the same as long-term self-interest? True. And, and that's a different topic in itself. <laughs> long-term <laughs> versus short-term. Uh, that right. can create a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well, George, unfortunately we're out of time. But uh, great conversation. Glad to have you back on the show again. We'll make sure we do it. Won't wait so long the next time. And, <laughs> it's um, fun to be here. Yeah, so tell folks how they can learn more about Membrane and uh, get in contact with you. Yeah, just go to Membrane.com. That's M-E-M and then Brain. And, or find me on uh, LinkedIn where I share some, some of my thoughts on selling. Um, and uh, my blog, of course, would be happy to have people subscribe to it and keep on yeah. track what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, George... I'll recommend George's blog. He thinks very deeply about sales. He's got some good contributors on there as well. And uh, gosh, somebody have to ask me to contribute something, George. And um, <laughs> you should, you should. <laughs> yeah. But I do recommend people go go read it. I do. So, all right, George. Thanks, thanks again, Andy. friends. Thank you for spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back. Join us again for next episode of Accelerate. 
until then, if you get a chance, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 